Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Not one word failed. This is a statement of testimony telling us something about the character of God. God is trustworthy, God is dependable, God is reliable, God does what he says he will do. Some time ago, I was involved in a project that required work to be performed by an attorney. The deadline came and the attorney failed to produce the work that he said he would complete in time. And so I called him to find out why he had not done what he said that he would do. And his response, as a good attorney would, was in the form of an illustration, a juggling illustration. He said, too many balls in the air and this one fell. In other words, he had dropped the ball. When the scriptures say in Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, that not one word failed, the word failed in the Hebrew is nafal. It's a word that means to fall. Literally, the scriptures say that not one word of the Lord fell. Not one word failed, not one word was dropped. Not one word was left unfulfilled. God did not drop the ball because God is not juggling a multitude of tasks. God has no need to prioritize. Think about that. God's never too busy or too limited in presence or power to be overwhelmed by anything. Instead of prioritizing, God promises. And when God makes a promise, God keeps his word. This text, Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, is a summary text, a summary statement. And it comes at the very end of this third section of the book of Joshua. And it's appropriate for us to learn how to summarize seasons, seasons we go through, seasons of our life or even seasons of circumstances like a pandemic season. There will come a point where this season will end and we as God's people in faith should be prepared to summarize that season summarize how God has revealed himself to us, the things we've learned about his nature and his character and his faithfulness and the ways that he has allowed us to grow. This text is such a summary statement and because of that, it's very simple. 
I, when I study God's word, I, I love God's word. I love reading it. I love uh, mining it for hidden treasures and seeing what new connections I can make or how I can know God better. But I've got to remind myself that sometimes God's word is just that simple. It means exactly what it says. And in a sense, we could read this text and all say amen and have a very adequate sermon for our week. And so know that it's simple, but there's a few things in it that we can learn and that we can glean. Because this text calls to mind God's promises made to Abraham, made to the fathers. When Abraham was still known as Abram, the Lord appeared to him in Genesis chapter 12 and said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. At the age of 75, Abram went as the Lord had told him, taking all of his possessions, and he came to this land of Canaan. Genesis chapter 12, verse seven says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. That's the promise. I will give it, says the Lord. So Abraham built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this was God's promise to Abraham, a promise of land, a covenant promise that passed on from generation to generation. And God made this promise by swearing an oath. It was this promise that now becomes the focus of this passage because in this passage of Joshua, that promise to Abraham and the fathers is recorded as being fulfilled, promise kept. In this way, this passage is a passage of praise, declaring a confidence that may be placed in God because God's promises are not left open-ended and unfulfilled. Each major section of the book of Joshua has ended with some form of commemoration, an intentional act of remembrance to remind them of God's promises and God's fulfillment of those promises. And so after the people had crossed the Jordan River and claimed the land, do you remember what they did? At the Lord's command, they took 12 stones out of the Jordan, 12 stones for each of the 12 tribes, and Joshua set them up for the benefit of their children. It was a teaching tool to remind future generations that Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground because of what the Lord had done for them in drying up the waters so that they might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that they might fear the Lord their God forever. Remember that after this event, the sons of Israel who had been born in the wilderness, 
were circumcised. It was a covenant renewal that was taking place, and Israel kept the Passover and began eating the fruit of the land of Canaan in that year. That's Joshua chapter 5. Remember that it was after these events that the commander of the army of the Lord appeared to Joshua by Jericho with his drawn sword in his hand and said, now I have come. After the people had claimed the land, they then conquered the land. And there's an account at the end of that conquering, naming every king that had been conquered and every land that had been conquered by Joshua and Israel. And it's a long list of names and lands, but they are named and recorded because those names represent the fulfillment of the people and places that God had promised to give to Israel and that God did give to them. And now at the end of this third major section, Joshua has divided the land, apportioning out under God's direction an inheritance to the people. And in dividing the land, Joshua also obeys all God instructed through Moses, setting up cities of refuge and provision for the livestock of the tribe of Levi and their, uh, the priests. And so nothing is left undone, but yet there's still work to do, and there remains very much land to possess, but all is already given to them in God, and all will be theirs in God, just as he promised. In leaving an inheritance for the people, Joshua was ensuring that the people have a very tangible way of remembering God's promises so that as they live in the land, as they serve God in the land, they will never forget him and all that he has done for them. And it is in this context that our text is given. Three verses that form a summary statement of remembrance, fulfillment, and praise. And I wanna look at each of these three verses. First, Joshua 21, verse 43, thus, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. Notice with me the preeminent place given to the Lord in these verses. This verse begins with, thus the Lord gave. And in this verse, we are presented with two tensions, a tension of time, an attention of responsibility. First, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. That's a tension of time. The fulfillment of God's promise to the fathers was not realized by the fathers, but by generations later to come. The fathers received God's promise, but did not realize God's promise in their lifetime. Abraham had to trust that what God was promising to give him generations later would come to pass. And the scriptures say that Abraham believed the Lord and that this belief was counted to him 
This faith was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, verse 6. We all know what a family tree is. It traces family relationships and a family name for generations. A family tree tells us who we are related to by blood, who we receive our name and our DNA from. We can think of God's promises in a similar way, but the lines connecting one generation to another with God's promises are not bloodlines, but faith lines. The reason Israel received the promised land was ultimately because of God's faithfulness, but it was also because of the faith of their fathers, Abraham's faith, Isaac's faith, Jacob's faith. All of Israel, past, present, and future is united across all time, across all generations, as one family by faith. Many had died in the wilderness journey because of faithlessness, but those few that remained had faith, and God brought his promise to fulfillment through faith. God gave Israel land. Land is something real, something they could touch and build upon and stand in. As Israel stood upon the land, they were standing on more than just earth. They were standing on God's promises, fulfilling what God had promised to Abraham long before. There's a question for each of us to ask. What legacy are we leaving in terms of faith? However much or however little I have to leave to my children as an inheritance one day, I pray that above all, they will know that their dad and their mom believed God enough to live by faith so that they may know that they can have faith in God too. God does have a purpose in this life for each of us, but consider that within that purpose, God is passing on promises through you to future generations through faith. There's a tension of time, and there's also a tension of responsibility in this verse. I'll read it again. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. Notice the phrases, the Lord gave, and also they took possession. They settled. Israel had to conquer or possess and settle in what God gave to them. There was a work that belonged to God and a work that belonged to the people that God gave for them to do. God is absolutely sovereign, meaning all power, all authority belongs to him and nothing happens apart from him. He speaks and it is so. And God in his sovereignty gives work for us to do as his people. 
In this way, faith is not just an idea. It is not something we sit in. Faith is something we stand in and walk in. Genuine faith works acting upon God's word. Genuine faith has feet to stand on God's promises and take just one more step, one more step in faithfulness. Genuine faith moves because God says so. Can God save our lost neighbors without us? Yes. But has God given the work of witnessing to us? Yes. Can God save the unreached people of the world without us? Yes. But has God given the Great Commission to us? Yes. Let me remind you at this point of the sermon to pick up an Operation Christmas Child box on your way out if you haven't already and make sure to bring those back next week. But that's just one mission that we're participating in as a church, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it is with worship, prayer, gathering, giving, going, studying, obeying, Whatever it is, God does not need us to do anything, but he gives us the opportunity to receive his promises and blessings through a faith that acts upon his word. So God gave land, and Israel possessed and settled the land. But with land, the Lord also gave rest. Look with me at Joshua chapter 21, verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Now, this rest is not the Sabbath rest. It's a different word. This rest is a rest from war, rest from Israel's enemies. It is a rest that God secured for his covenant people by God himself fighting for them. It's like what Jesus offers. When he said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest in this way is only needed if we're busy working, moving. The scripture says this is true of Israel under Joshua's leadership and not one of all their enemies had withstood them meaning they were conquering, they were on the offense, they were on the attack, and they were victorious. This statement looks back over chapters 6 through 11 and all of the battles that Israel fought. Even with Ai, when Israel was faithless and defeated for the first, God gave Israel victory when they returned to him, when they repented, when they confessed their sins. By faith, no enemy withstood them, meaning by faith they could advance and claim and conquer all that God 
gave. And then verse 45 tells us that the Lord's word came to pass. Verse 45 says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God's word, God's promises are described as good. This is the same word good used by God in Genesis 1 to describe his creation. This word good is not to distinguish God's good promises from God's bad promises. God doesn't make bad promises. All of God's promises are good because God is good. This verse tells us something of God's character. God's good promises flow out of his goodness, his generosity. And God's word is good whether we like it or not. If we ever read God's word and disagree with what God is instructing or begin to feel uncomfortable with what we are reading and we feel a tension between what God says and what we want, that tension reveals in us the presence of sin. It doesn't say God's word is bad. It shows us that we are bad. There's a sin that needs to be confessed and repented of. Sin does not recognize God's word for what it is, good. Sin wants us to set aside God's word and God's ways for our own. To ignore God's word as being old or out of date and irrelevant. But God's word is good, and God's word never fails. Isaiah 55, 11, the Lord says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So in Israel, in the days ahead, possess the remaining land. They can do so knowing that God will not go back on his word to them. God's goodness represents his name. What he promised to them, he will give because his name is at stake. And indeed, he has already given it to them. Now, you may say, well, Pastor Christopher, why don't you tell me all of the promises in God's word so that I might know and believe them and be strengthened by them? I can't tell you all of the promises. I don't have the time to tell you all of the promises. But what I can tell you is what Joshua points to, and it is this, that all of God's good promises are found in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, for example, speaks of rest. Not a rest from war, but a rest in God, a Sabbath rest for all who are in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 
For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And this will set the tone for what we will come to next in Joshua, how the people are to live in the land with God, worshiping God, serving God, representing God to the world, how the rest from war becomes a rest in God. And this is instructive for us because Hebrews says this Sabbath rest is one promise that remains for us, that we can stand in, that we can look forward to with faith, the promise of entering God's rest. But it is a promise that is entered only as we listen and are united in faith by what we hear of Jesus. What we hear, we hear from God in Jesus Galatians chapter three, verse 16 says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. We who are in Christ are recipients of all of God's promises because all of God's promises find their permanent fulfillment in him. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That is why we sang those words, standing on the promises, I cannot fall listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. God is trustworthy. God is dependable. God is reliable. God does what he says he will do. You can see this in Jesus, his death on the cross for sin, his burial in the tomb, and then how God fulfilled his promises by raising Jesus from the dead, carrying on those promises in Christ in us. God has done all in Jesus. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.